Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 6, verses 33 through 35, and verses 46 through 51. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus said, The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So who is Jesus? That's what we're thinking about all summer, the the true identity of Jesus, because you and I all know that we can say that we know somebody, but not really, not really know what that person is like, right? And yet one of the great blessings of of the Bible is that Jesus answers that uh, question about his identity personally. And just in the Gospel of John, there are seven times that he specifically says, I am And then he fills in the blank. And the thing we're going to be seeing all summer is each one of the statements, each way that he fills in that blank, speaks to the biggest questions that we have as human beings and to the deepest needs that we have. And this week we come to this first one, found in John chapter 6, in which Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Now, as I was reading these words again uh, in John 6 this past week, I began to think again of the work of Viktor Frankl. Uh, Do you know of him? He was a neurologist, a psychiatrist um, from from Austria, and and, um, yet he was also Jewish. And so for a part of his life, he was taken and, and in a concentration camp. He was a Holocaust survivor. While he was there in that Nazi prison camp, he was still a scientist and decided intentionally to engage in a research project. He watched to see how all of his fellow prisoners handled or could not handle the heavy pain and persecution that their Nazi persecutors inflicted upon them. He heard the ways they tried to cope with this sort of thing in the midst of this very difficult world. And he found that most of them tried to find something at the center of their lives that they could go back to, something that, it, that is temporary. They would think, I'm going to get back and someday be back in my home. When I get back again, I'll get to be back with my wife or my husband or my family. When I get out of this place, I'll get to go back into my careers. And others would simply say something like this, we're going to show those Nazis that we're stronger. We're going to gut these things out ourselves. But he said he watched as one by one. The Nazi persecutors were able to break them down, break down their will and leave them with absolutely no hope. But Franco said there was a very small group of the people who were there in the prison camp with him who seemed to be able to sustain it. They had found something that gave them what what psychologists today talk about and many corporate leaders talk about as resiliency. 
You know, resiliency, the ability to pop back up again in the midst of all the difficulties. And he said they found something very, very different. He wrote a book about all of this research. It's, it's his best-known book. You'll see it here. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Let me just read you a part of what he wrote. Life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation. Only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their inner liberty and inner strength. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if we have our inner being filled with something that neither suffering, circumstances, nor death can destroy. Indeed, that nothing in this world can take away. See, it's that matter of having our inner beings filled with something that can never be taken away that I think Jesus is addressing right here in John chapter 6. And to all of that, he says, I am. I am the bread of life who has come to fill your inner being. And that brings us to John 6. I hope you have a Bible. You can perhaps turn there. It is a long chapter. I mean, 69 verses. You, would, you wouldn't have stayed long enough to read the whole thing through. So I thought, how do we get into this to see what's there? So I've taken some time to try to boil it down into the main parts. There are really three main parts to the chapter. Here's what it says. Verses 1 through 15, Jesus meets people's physical needs. So when you read it, he was there in his home area, Capernaum, alongside the Sea of Galilee, and there was this huge crowd of people 5,000 families. That when it says 5,000 men, it's talking about the patriarch of the family. 5,000 families, thousands and thousands of people who were there. And he fed them all when they became hungry with just five loaves of bread and two fish. This incredible miracle of feeding this many people with, with so little is the very thing that the Jewish people felt when Messiah comes. He is going to do that. Uh, just like there was abundant food at the very beginning when Messiah comes and makes all things right again, the way it was before sin entered the world, there's going to be an abundance of food and thinking that Jesus must surely now, because of this miracle, be the Messiah. You see verse 15, they try to force him to become their king, try to make him become their leader. Part two, verses 16 to 24, Jesus resists temporary things being made primary. You've got to put yourself in Jesus' shoes here. Wouldn't most of us have jumped at this chance when all of our people are wanting us to become their leader and their king? Wouldn't we jump at the chance to do that? Maybe you wouldn't. Are you still here with me? I think most of us would have. And indeed, uh, Jesus' closest disciples, if you read about them, you know that this is what they had wanted to happen all along. I can almost imagine them when they heard all this happening saying, Jesus, it's happening at last. We wondered why this was so slow. This is what we've been wanting from the very beginning. Now we can really make a big difference here in our world. Well, Jesus, where are you going? <laughs> he takes off. He leaves the crowd. He takes his disciples across to the other side of the lake. But the crowd, boy, they wanted him and they came looking for him. Part three. Verses 25, really all the way to 69. Jesus insists on the main thing being the main thing. And the main thing is the eternal thing. What happens in this long section is that Jesus and all of, of, of the, the people who are there, they get into this increasingly heated dispute 
Why did this happen? And the main reason, according to Jesus, was that really the only thing these people were living for was for temporary things. And, and he knew that it wasn't last. It wasn't just that he got angry with them. He was trying to get their attention. He, he wanted them to have something that was eternal. They wanted, <laughs> when you read it, they wanted Jesus to do a miracle as big as Moses had done. And they said, you know, this miracle of feeding 5,000 people one day, that's a pretty good miracle. But Moses did bigger things. Uh, he, he actually freed his people from slavery. And he didn't just give them food for one day, that manna that Moses gave them. It, it was day after day after day. Jesus, you got to do something bigger than Moses did. And Jesus just comes back to them and says, no, 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 no. Moses didn't do that. God did it. And I am not Moses. I am the bread of life. I'll tell you, when Jesus started talking like that, the people complained. Most of them refused to accept Jesus' teaching. And most of these people, and if you look on down in verse 66, who had claimed, like, like those of us who come to church, we claim, to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples, they just left him and abandoned him. And I'll just tell you, I don't want that to happen to you. Brothers and sisters, you and I are all susceptible to what these people were susceptible to. Uh, we live in this difficult world. Things can happen to us. They can happen that were as tough as happened to, to, in that Nazi concentration camp. And when things don't go the way we want, often we become disillusioned. We say, well, this must not be real. I, I don't want that. And I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to find and be true to the only one who can bring you something that really lasts. And that's what this chapter is all about. Something to fill your inner being that nothing in this world can ever take away from you. That's what Jesus offers. That's what I want for you to have too. And, and the best way to get at this, I think, is to see that Jesus and all the people who were there had two very different ways of looking at the world. What were they? Well, we start with this. They saw two different kinds of hunger. Two different kinds of hunger. So, so Jesus said in verse 26, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed. And by that, a sign points to something much bigger than itself. So the sign when Jesus, it was really pointing to the fact that there was a God who was to be known. You didn't come to me because you wanted to know God. You only came because you ate the loaves and had your fill. All right, so here we are. We come to this part of the Bible that addresses one of the issues that has divided God's people for a long, long time. And that is the relationship between social justice and evangelism. Between addressing the physical, social, political needs of people and addressing the eternal needs of people. So here, the specific issue that was a need was physical hunger. There were people hungry in Jesus' day, and there still are people hungry in Pasadena. There still are people hungry in our world today. In fact, if anything, there's more and more desperate hunger in our world than there ever has been before. In spite of all the governments and all the organizations and even all the churches trying to engage in wars on hunger and poverty, there is still tremendous poverty and hunger. It just seems like we don't have the will or the resources or the ability or something to be able to address it. And the same thing was true in the day of Jesus. So let me say right now to you, let me say this to you, that God cares when he sees human beings made in his image who are hungry or who are hurting. I, I tell you, when you read about the world, 
before sin entered the world. You can read all about it in Genesis 1 through 2. It's clear that all of those things that, that cause pain to people in this world, whether it's, it's sickness or poverty or homelessness or hunger, those things didn't exist when God created the world. He didn't create uh, human beings to be without food. There was plenty of food in the Garden of Eden. Just, just mark it down. One of the promises is when the real Messiah comes, he'll give us an abundance of food. It's one of the things they looked forward to. But, um, but having said that, what, what takes place here is that we see first that Jesus cares about people who are hungry and actually acts when he sees people who are hungry. And you can read about that, especially in verses 5 through 9. Can, can I just walk you through it? Verse 5, Jesus says, he saw the people. Where can we find enough bread for these people to eat? He cared, right? Uh, he saw it was there. Same question we still have so many times. Philip, if you look at verse 8, his assessment of what we have, the resources we have, is so, so much like what I hear in our day. Jesus, eight months' wages, wouldn't buy enough bread to give one morsel of bread to each one of all these people. And then finally, when you come to verse 9, Andrew's words express the very same feeling that so many of us has. What is what we have among such a great, great need? I'll tell you, it's an issue that I think every developmental economist, every agronomist, every church and pastor who cares anything about people keeps asking. It just seems like we can't deal with this problem of people hurting. Now, what happens in John? It's just when this whole matter of our human helplessness to deal with a big problem comes up. John always introduces the only figure of hope. And you can read about it there in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So here, I want you to make note of this now. The Lord Jesus cares when people are hungry or are in need or experiencing the ravages of injustice and pain. He cares. And not only does he care, he acts to deal with that situation. And I'll just tell you, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives and if he's the Lord of this church, what matters to him should matter to us. I'll tell you, during my lifetime and so many of the churches I've been a part of, it doesn't seem like what really matters to Jesus really matters so much to God's people, uh, at least some of us. Uh, Richard Stern from uh, World Vision has written a book about this. It's called A Hole in the Gospel. Uh, what he's saying is this gospel, the good news. He says somehow as he's looked at so many churches here in the United States, there's a big hole in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ because when Jesus talked about the gospel and about the good news. He said, I have come to bring the gospel, to bring good news. And do you remember in Luke 4 what he said specifically to the poor, to the oppressed, to the imprisoned, to those experiencing all of the injustices of evil in this world? So whenever we don't care about those and act to meet those things, we're out of sync with Jesus himself. So, so just mark that down. But at the same time, Jesus refused to give priority over any kind of physical or social or political need to the eternal needs of human beings. He said that kind of hunger is real, but there's another kind of hunger. Verse 35, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. See, what, what Jesus will teach consistently is that there is a kind of hunger that every human being has. 
In our world, there are only some people who are physically hungry. But he says there is a kind of hunger that every human being has. That includes you and me and every person who crosses your path. And that is that we have been made in God's image. We have been made to know God. We have a part of us, of our inner being, that we can never really live unless it is filled with the very presence of God himself. It's the thing that Viktor Frankl was saying that he'd only seen a few in those Nazi prison camps experience. People who had their inner beings filled so that they had something that the Nazis could not take away from them. So when I read this, I read how how this played out in Jesus' life. He he healed the sick. He, He fed the hungry people. But then as you get right down to it, he made sure that we knew that as important as that is, the priority of his life and of his ministry was never going to be temporary things. It was always going to be eternal things. And I'll tell you, here's my prayer for us as a church. I pray that the passion that Jesus has for the needs of people who are so affected by sin in our world will be our own passion. And I pray that the priority of Jesus of making sure people's eternal souls are filled by receiving Jesus as Savior will be the priority of the life of this church. We we, we put together, you know, uh, we we call it our guiding statement. It's one page. Go online. I hope you will look at it. Down at the very bottom, we have four categories of the kind of community that we are praying God will help us to become. We humbly acknowledge that we're not all of that yet. But we're in process. He's going to do. And here are two of them. I put it up here for you to see. One of them is we have a commitment to be what I call a reconciling community. And by that, all the brokenness that sin brings into our world, and there's so much of it, relational, social, physical, all that brokenness we want to actually enter in as Jesus entered in to those situations and bring good news that it isn't hopeless because God and his people are here. We want to be a reconciling community and we pray at the same time we will be an evangelizing community. We're not going to be ashamed to say there's only one kind of bread that lasts forever and that is Jesus. And in, our, in my lifetime, I'll tell you, on one side, it seems like there have been so many churches that have almost uh, only focused on on the spiritual need. We have evangelized and called people to faith in Jesus that we ignore the pains and physical needs of people. Right now, I've just wondered, I've just wondered if the pendulum hasn't been swinging in the other direction so that sometimes it, it feels like sometimes it's okay to address the social justice and the social needs of people. But, but you know, to say, to go and tell to people, there's only one bread of life. There's only one way to God, and that is Jesus is something we're almost embarrassed to say. And brothers and sisters, we must be both. We must be both. As I read John 6, this is what I, he looked at these 5,000 families of people out there, and then he turns to his disciples. He says, my children, when I look at these people, I do see hungry bodies that need to be fed. We must feed them. But I see more than that. I see hungry lives that need to be filled, and I am the bread of life. Two kinds of hunger. Then there are two kinds of bread. Look at verse 27. So, do not work for, and that phrase means don't make this your main obsession. Don't don't you make that your main aspiration. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life. So, according to these words of Jesus, there is physical bread, 
that nourishes our body. I like food. Anybody else here? If I keep preaching long enough, you'll all have your stomachs groaning here, right? So I, I, don't, so I don't want to pretend that having food is unimportant. We're material beings. We've really been made to have food. But I want you to know that's not the only kind of bread that you and I need. Uh, that first kind of bread will spoil. That's what Jesus says. We need it right now, but I'll tell you, no matter how much physical bread or food that I have, when I go down into that grave, it's not going to do me a lick of good. <laughs> I need to have something that is eternal. And so he says, I am that kind of bread. I am the eternal bread to feed your soul. So I don't want you to focus on and obsess over just the one. You've got to make sure that the eternal is the priority of your life and your ministry. Now, when I read John chapter 6, just the way Jesus did it has become a bit of a guide for me. I want to run this past you and see what you think. So you read John chapter 6, he had these people out there that had needs in this world. And in verse 2, he saw that some of them were sick and he healed them. He entered into their lives, he cared about physical pain. Verses 3 through 15, he saw hungry people and he cared about that and he provided food for them. Then the greater part of what he did was from that point when, when that was established, he was able to enter in and talk about the eternal things, calling them to trust him and to follow him by faith. In my own experience, it simply is this way. I mean, Jesus, he became human, so he understood what it meant to be hungry, right? Sometimes he, did, he was even homeless himself, so I mean, he understood that and understood the importance of it. And as I've looked at it, sometimes when you meet people who are really in pain, whether physical or emotional or relational, or if people are really hungry, it's, it's really not the time for me to go up and say, you know, I know you're hungry, but I, I want to teach you some theological lessons about Jesus. Let's, let's talk about Christology for just a few moments. We, we might tend to do that, but you just can't receive it then, right? So it seems to me what Jesus is saying to us is where we step in. We step in, as Jesus did, to those physical and social needs, but we never leave it at that. We never, he never left the real need unmet. And, and the reason is, because physical bread doesn't really satisfy a human being in an eternal way. Our, our deepest need isn't for food, it's for God. Do, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Uh, Jesus would say human beings can't live by bread alone. Now we've got to have bread to eat, but we can't leave it at that. God has made you and me in his image with aspirations that go beyond anything, that anything in this world can actually satisfy. And if, if we focus on just the temporary material things, we may satisfy one particular need of a person for a little while. But eventually what, what he says is it's not going to last. And you and I all know this is true. Okay, we read this thing. One day he feeds them and they're satisfied. But they're not really satisfied. You go on and read, and what happens when they find him on the other side? They say, Jesus, you need to do a bigger miracle. You know, Moses did more. You know, yesterday we had bread, but today we want some strawberry pie, you know? <laughs> you know, the way we are, once we get the strawberry pie, you know, tomorrow we'd better have some whipped cream, and it better not be that Cool Whip stuff. And, and the next day, it's got to be ice cream. And then not the cheap kind, the really expensive, good kind. That you, it, we, it, this is the way we are. It is the foundation of our consumerist society, the one that God has put us in. 
And you and I are very susceptible to it. And Jesus knew this. And so that's why he takes so much time to sort of shake us up. To make sure that we know that our greatest desire is for God. And when we found him, we have found our lives. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre. Okay, I'm going to quote an atheist, okay? Here. He'd probably be angry that a pastor quotes him too. So I'm going to do it. He had serious objections to the faith. Uh, yet he even had to write something that so many pastors have quoted. I don't know if people in the grave roll around, but if he could roll around, he'd roll around knowing that I'm quoting him here. But here we go. He'd say, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. So he was an atheist. But that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. That's true of you. It's true of every person that God brings across your path. And it's to that human reality that Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread come from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. All right, so we've had two kinds of hunger, two kinds of bread. Um, Let me just say a word about this. Two ways to respond to Jesus. So the first one's in verse 66. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then the one that comes from Peter in verse 69. But we, Jesus, have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, here's the fundamental issue. How do we receive spiritual bread? We know how to eat physical bread, right? How do we receive spiritual bread into ourselves? And Jesus made the same point again and again and again in this section and in other places too. Verses 35 and 36. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And notice this, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, he's saying we've got to receive him into ourselves in in such a way that he becomes the one who is the center of our lives. Now, I I think that he knew that some of the people were saying, I don't know. I'm not really going to listen. And and thinking maybe that some people were sleeping through the sermon as none of you ever would. Jesus made this point even more graphically and emphatically in verses 53 and 54. Just imagine somebody saying this to you. Very truly I say to you, and, and, and there is that Hebrewism that I talked about before. Truly, truly. When you say a word twice, you're, you're, really, you're really making it emphatic. Truly, truly, I've got to tell you something. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Have we heard that language so much that it no longer shocks us? For the people in Jesus' world, that word flesh sucks. You almost don't use that in polite company. And yet... Here's Jesus saying, you've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. Don't you see what he's doing? It's not that he's angry with them, but he loves them. He loves us so much that he won't let us become so obsessed with temporary material things that we leave God out of our lives and aren't prepared to meet the Lord. So after experiencing this unforgettable miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 families with a few sardines and crackers, 
The crowds around him wanted Jesus to be their king, but they wanted someone who would overturn all the social problems, all these political nuts who were there in their place and and give them everything that they wanted. And let me remind you that ultimately Jesus is in a process that is going to overturn all injustices, all that is wrong. When he reigns, when the kingdom of God comes, it will be a kingdom of peace, shalom, and justice. But as that is in process right now, there's something he has to do inside of each and every human being. There's a hunger I have that, that, that we have that, that he is insisting upon meeting. And what Jesus said to them was something they didn't want. I, I kind of can hear what they were saying as they were walking away from him. Ah, oh, you know, after he fed those 5,000 families, we, we thought he was gonna do something great. Oh, but here he's just one of those super spiritual religious types wanting to think about heaven and all that stuff and not to really do real work here. He doesn't give people what they really want. It's a pity. A person like him could have changed the world. But I tell you, he has changed the world. And I want you to see that Jesus wasn't phased by what they said. He wasn't phased when he saw them all leaving. We would say, wait, wait, come on back here because, no, he wasn't phased by it because he knows what's truly important and without any reservation, Jesus proclaimed that your greatest need and the greatest need of any human being you meet this week is to have your inner being filled with the God whose image in which you were made. And he said, I am the bread of life. You must receive me by faith or you will not live. I've got to ask you, have you received him by faith? What is it, who is it, who is at the very center of your aspirations and of your life? You've got to remember that he was speaking to people who claim to be disciples. So it's it's speaking to us, not just people out there, it's speaking to us. Is Jesus the one that you have received into your inner being? So that now, as Paul would say, I no longer live, really. I'm crucified with Christ, but the life I live, I live in faith by by the power and the presence of the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave his life for me. I I don't want you to leave here today until you have made sure that you have received Jesus into your life by faith. And I think John 6 is also saying this to us. On one side, We must pray that we will have the heart of Jesus to care about the ravages of sin that affect our world. We can't just pass by people who are hurting and ignore people for whom Jesus died. We must be a church that reaches out to the pains and the injustices that fill our society, fill our community and world. But at the same time, my brothers and sisters, you and I have to have the courage to be as bold as Jesus was and to say that the real need that you have is for God, and that there's only one way to God. There's only one way to find the life for which you have been made. Jesus is the bread of life. Those who receive Jesus are those who find forgiveness of the past and a new life for the future. He is the bread of life, and all of this is what communion symbolizes, isn't it? Have you thought about, as I've been speaking, that you've perhaps seen our tables here all around? 
we're going to be having communion. And I thought, what a perfect week. You know, we postponed it from last week so that we could put it here today. Uh, Communion is, is, is Jesus declaring, I am the bread of life. I'm the one who gave my life for you. Communion is you and me being humble enough to say, yes, Jesus, and we're the spiritually starving people who had no hope apart from your mercy. We have received you. It's always my prayer that when we have communion that you'll take time to reaffirm that he is the center of your being. He is the center of your life. To take a few moments and to evaluate where have you done what these these so-called disciples did, putting other sorts of things into the center of your being, getting really upset that you don't have those things, thinking that that is what life is all about. Today, let's come back again and as we receive this and as we receive the flesh and the blood of Jesus. May it be for some of us a first time reception of Jesus by faith. And for the rest of us, a renewed commitment to Jesus as Lord. So let me tell you about our communion. If you're visiting with us, this is the Lord's table. So anybody who says Jesus is my Savior and he is at the center of my life, then we want you to come and receive communion with the rest of your family members. At the same time, you see how serious this is, don't you? That it's so easy to come to church and say, well, of course I'm a Christian. I mean, what else am I? I'm, I'm not something else. But not really to have Jesus at the center of your life. In fact, to have whole areas of your life that you've never surrendered to him. All of us, I'm sure, can look at places where we have fallen far short this past week of of what we know God would have us to do and have us to be. This is the time to confess that to him and to know that what he has done here is what provides a new beginning for you, that he never gives up on you, that the forgiveness of Christ that comes through the blood of Christ is available and always sufficient for you. So I want you to take some time as we prepare to come to make sure that you've confessed your sins to him and you've re-surrendered your life to him. And then what we do at our church is all of us who can will come forward to the tables that are here and we'll have some stewards who are there to to help you to find those. We'll take the elements, the the bread and the cup and carry them back to wherever we are seated and then we'll receive together. Some of you can't come, I know, for a variety of reasons. Our stewards will bring the elements out to you and on the other side, if, if, if for some reason you have a gluten allergy all the way down to my right to your left uh, we have a, a table that is there so as the Lord leads you come and as you get ready I'm going to leave you with this confession of the apostle Peter found at the very end of John chapter 6 where so many of the other people had left they weren't there anymore and Jesus turned to the disciples and he said what about you what about you are you going to leave too and Peter answered him And this is what he said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe. More. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. All of you who have come to believe that, come to his table.